All right, well, my wife sends her greetings. She couldn't find her keys this morning, and uh, so she didn't want to walk with a bunch of kids. And I was like, come on, babe, let's get it together. This is the work of the Lord we're doing here. Anyway, but uh, anyway, she sends her greetings and her love, and uh, uh, she'll, she'll see you next week. So and probably now I'm going through my head, I'm like, I bet you the keys are in my top drawer where I put them so I don't lose them, but I didn't, anyway. So, but the joys of marriage, right? So, but as we get into to the gospel reading today, I, I, I thought, I want to tell a story about a young lady that was in my youth ministry for years. Um, great, great kid. She's uh, graduated from high school this year, and she's getting ready to go on overseas missions, uh, I believe in Mexico, to do work down there with, with, with orphanages and, and building homes down in Mexico uh, for the glory of God. But she came from a place that had no spiritual or church background whatsoever. Her parents never took her to church. She had no concept of, 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 of God. She had no, like, it just wasn't a part of her upbringing or anything she knew about. Um, the first time she came to church, she came by herself. She was invited by uh, an, a friend that had met her at school, invited her to church. And at 13 years old, she heard the good news of Jesus for the very first time time. One time was all it took, and she surrendered her life to Christ that morning at church. For years, she rode her bike by herself to church. Uh, If she couldn't get a ride, her parents never, ever came. Never came one time to church, but she rode her bike, and she came every single week. And I think the only time, and I know her parents, the only time her parents ever came to church was at a, at a special service when she was baptized at 16 years old. Like I said, she's now getting ready to go on overseas missions. She, is, uh, she started a Bible club in her school down at Ording High School to tell other students about the good news of Jesus. She had no concept of who Jesus, she didn't know. No one was there to tell her until she was 13 years old. And when she was 13 years old, one of the friends that, uh, that went to our church at the time she brought her to church and explained to her what was happening. Took the time to explain church culture to her and what we were talking about. And this book that the preacher's always talking out of. And these songs that we're always singing. And all these different things that we do. She took time to prepare the way for the Lord to enter into her life. And for her to be discipled and to be baptized. And I was, I've always been so inspired by her that she... By herself, no one in her family ever went to church, but she found a way to make it because someone took the time to invite her to church, explain to her the things that were going on, explain to her the Bible, and now she's going and she's going to be leading people into the kingdom of God in Mexico, which is so, so exciting. So, and as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about John the Baptist from the gospel this morning. Now, John the Baptist, uh, and I have sermon companions for you too if you want to follow along there. But John, to build a little bit of framework around John the Baptist, one of my most favorite Bible characters, so to say. But he was born to his parents when they were of old age, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. He was of the tribe of Levi. Now, John was Jesus' second cousin, and his name means Jehovah is gracious. 
And John was a set apart to be a Nazarite, which was an Old Testament custom you can read about in Numbers chapter 6, where they, they don't drink any alcohol or they don't even eat fruit that can be fermented into alcohol. They don't cut their hair. Samson, we know, was a, a Nazarite as well. And they're not allowed to go near any dead bodies. Now, since we're, we're going to be talking about a situation today, I think it's very important that we go back to the Jewish roots of Christian baptism. Now, the concept of baptism or cleansing was not new to John's generation. When John was out in the Jordan River baptizing, it, was, it wasn't new. It wasn't something that was... Uh, um, it wasn't something that, that people didn't understand. And if you read through Leviticus chapter 11, which isn't... If you read through Leviticus chapter 11, it is verse after verse after verse of things that will make you unclean. Until you get to verse 36 in Leviticus 11. And it says this, Nevertheless, a spring or a cistern holding water shall be clean. So it lists all the things that make you dirty... And then it comes to this cistern of water that will make you clean. And then it goes back down into all the things that will make you dirty. You know, you can't eat this. You can't say this. You can't look at this. You can't come near this. All these different laws. Now, this cistern in, in Leviticus is translated to a Hebrew word called mikvah. And mikvah is a collected mass of water. And it was the mikvah, it was the place that people were brought to for purification. So in their Jewish faith, uh, they would have a mikvah in many synagogues, and many have them today. Herod's temple in the times of Christ had pools. The pool of Siloam was one of them, or mikvahs used for washing and for purification. And this would be a place where the Jewish people would come, and many still come to this day for ritual cleansings before marriage, or to celebrate major life transitions, or after a woman's monthly cycle, or to prepare spiritually for Shavuot or Yom Kippur. And priests and rabbis had a specific requirements for the mikvah. It had to have enough water to cover the entire person's body, and part of that water supply had to come from a natural source. So it couldn't come through um, like hoses or like copper pipe. It had to come from a spring of water, or they had to bring in rainwater or melt ice, something that hadn't been like hadn't touched anything uh, plastic or or anything like that. That was part of. And still is part of the requirements for the mikvah. And only Jewish people were allowed access to the mikvah. Now, I say all this to keep this in mind as we get into the gospel message today. So keep that in mind over the next couple minutes as we go through this. Now, John's message was very simple. It was this, kind of divided into three parts. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven was at hand. Now, I want to take a moment and break down this statement into three parts. The first part is repent. To change one's mind for the better is what John is saying. Repentance is a complete turning away from what is evil and committing to what is righteous. So repent. That's what John is saying here. Repent for the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. It's, it's interchangeable throughout the Gospels, but it means the same thing. Now, in man's, we have man's kingdom on earth, and we have the kingdom of God in heaven. We're called as Christians, as believers, to bring the kingdom of God 
into the world. Now, man's kingdom has a political mindset or a political ideology. God's kingdom has a biblical ideology. Man's kingdom is territorial over power. God's kingdom is eternal and has limitless authority. Man's kingdom has rules and regulations. God's kingdom has the truth. Man's kingdom has a, a royal family who, who sits on the throne. God's kingdom, we are all royal priesthood. We are all a holy nation. In man's kingdom, there's power struggles. In God's kingdom, we have a right to rule because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then finally, at hand. Now, the, the, the term at hand, this comes from a Greek word. To bring near, to join one thing to another. Heaven and earth would soon and forever be very, very close because of the coming of the Messiah. The supernatural world was now going to be revealed and interacted with as a part of daily life. Now, to kind of interpret John's message, very simply, it says, allow your hearts and minds to be changed for the authority, truth, and people of God are now going to be joined together. The church is getting ready to be born. John is making a way. And in fact, we're still speaking the same message today with our lives. We're going into the world and we're saying, repent. Repent is not, repent is like a great gift. The word, people look at the word repent and, and, we're, and, and they take it wrong. They look at it as in a word of attack. No, it's a word of, that, that will save you. Repent from your sins. Look what we have available to us. We have a Messiah to forgive us of our sins. This power and message drew people from all over the area to come to John for baptism and for confession of sins. And imagine what that was like, if you could. In your imagination, imagine John, you know, in the, in the Jordan River and people coming from all over the place. Jerusalem, Judea, you have Jews, you have Greeks, you have Gentiles, you have all these different people coming now down to one baptism, to repent of their sins. Now, they were used to going to a mikvah, but God was creating something new. It was no longer the locations and specifications of the water, but it was the position of the heart and the surrendering of the spirit. John the Baptist was getting a nation ready for the Messiah through repentance and baptism, while at the same time presenting the coming death, burial, and resurrection of Christ to the nation. He was creating anticipation and excitement. John's life and ministry was a call to repentance. Repentance prepares our lives to receive Christ. That is what this season of Advent is all about. Preparing our lives for Christ. Our lives should tell the world the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. John has some harsh words for the, the Sadducees and, and the Pharisees, does he not? He says, you brood of vipers. I'm sure he wasn't nice when he said it. He wasn't like, oh, you brood of vipers, so cute. He was very forceful with his language. You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not say, to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, and I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every, every, therefore, 
that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. The religious and political leaders were coming to discredit John's baptism and the message he was preaching. See, these leaders didn't like John's message because it led people away from the bondage and burden of endless religious practice and into freedom in Christ. Religious leaders used the temple for their corrupt power and financial gain and and power grabs and control over the people. John was inviting people to be free from their sins and into Jesus Christ. John had the authority of heaven to introduce this new once and for all baptism. And he was met with this opposition and I'm sure it wasn't pretty. One of my favorite verses in all of scripture says this, Matthew eleven twelve. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. This doesn't mean that the kingdom of God is crumbling or the kingdom of God is in defeat. It speaks of a holy and spiritual violence that is bent on protecting the agenda of the kingdom of heaven as it is revealed to the world. You know, when we think of violence, we think of crime, we think of evil, But when this righteous violence was strengthened, this righteous violence was strength and boldness from the Holy Spirit to push back the kingdom of Satan through the truth behind John's prophetic declaration over those religious leaders. We see this type of opposition to the kingdom of heaven in our nation and in fact the world today. We are in a spiritual and ideological civil war amongst people. There are two worldviews, two spiritual kingdoms that conflict with one another, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of Satan. Now the worldview of living word and all other scripture-based churches and people is that of a biblical worldview, and I use that term a lot. We hold to the anchor of scripture that gives us guidance and boundaries to navigate what we face in the world today. In our culture, we are seeing... We're seeing drugs, uh, both illegal and legal over-the-counter, becoming more and more of an issue, an effect of the raging depression and suicidal tendencies around the world. I, was, um, I have some friends, some, some pastor friends. They, uh, they oversee a ministry called Stay Here. I believe I was talking with Troy about this this week. And they were, they, they were talking that there is 40,000 suicides per year in the United States primarily among youth. It is a growing, growing issue. And it's because there's no hope. There's no anchor in our society. We see moral relativism becoming a new world religion. Humanity is coerced and forced to move away from foundational biblical teachings and values that are taught in Scripture. We're seeing godly masculinity being attacked psychologically, biologically, and culturally. We're seeing women being replaced in sports and in the marketplace and in politics and in society by men pretending to be women. This is an insult and attack on the divine design of womanhood and God's design of who a woman is and is created to be. We're seeing children as young as kindergarten being indoctrinated to think that gender is a choice and that, the, the, that sexuality is an entertainment and for entertainment purposes only and not God's holy system of celebration and reproduction inside a marriage between a man and a woman. And this ideology is now infiltrating the hearts and minds of 
pastors and churches. We're seeing a growing number of churches embrace the critical race theory, which is divisive at its core. We're seeing them uh, adapt and coordinate homosexual marriages and lifestyles. When scripture is abandoned and cultural approval is sought out, these are the confusing results. When John the Baptist saw the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming, he knew their religious ideology and corruption was coming with them. He didn't back down. He wasn't intimidated, but he called out their intentions for what they were. He called them a brood of vipers. In other words, their, their fruit, their words, their lives were seeds. This is why this is such an insulting term back in those days. He's saying your deeds and your words are the seeds of the serpent from the Garden of Eden. John calls out these leaders in their belief system and says that there will come a time when what they believe will no longer stand. There will be a judgment that comes, and I believe we talked about that last week, and what they believe and practice will not survive the spiritual pruning that the Holy Spirit is going to do on God's people. And I'm so grateful for this church and so many of you who sit in here and stand on the principles of God's word. Repentance, going back to that thought, is a gift from God to purify our hearts, our spirits, our worldview, and our actions. And I'm almost done. John speaks of two baptisms here, a water baptism and a Holy Spirit baptism. Baptize, or baptizo, as in the Greek and in Hebrew, it's taval. It means to immerse or submerge, to cleanse by dipping, or to wash and to make clean. God's, John's ministry was introducing a baptism of repentance to those who are sincere in repentance and confession. 1 Peter 3.20-21 through 21 says, When God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, it's not the water that saves you and me, but it's what happens in the water. In those days, Noah was considered righteous, and the whole rest of humanity corrupt morally and spiritually. Noah and his family climbed into the ark, which was prophetic symbolism of Jesus Christ. They entered Christ as the water destroyed all that was sinful around them. They passed through the waters that cleansed the world of unrighteousness, and that ark that set them down on the mountain, that represented a new life in Christ. And I think that it's so important to talk about. We speak of baptism every week when we do our confessions. Why? So we will be reminded of what the Holy Spirit did in the water. I love to be a part of baptisms. When a baby is brought forward, surrounded by friends and family, the innocent grace of God is poured out. The faith and commitment of their parents to raise the child who is now God's child in the ways they should go. The beauty of a young child coming forward into the baptismal and watching their hearts realize how great their God is and watching the excitement of new faith light up in their eyes. The power that descends on a new convert who rejects everything about the world has taught them and embrace 
repentance and see their hearts come to life as they soar to a new life in Jesus. All three of the synoptic gospels speak of a baptism of the Holy Spirit, Luke, Matthew, and Mark. John was speaking of a physical baptism that did a work in the individual spirit. He also spoke of a spiritual baptism that it would ignite the spirits, the individual spirit for the work of fulfilling the Great Commission. We know that the Holy Spirit was given in part throughout the Old Testament to kings and to prophets and to judges to do a specific task. Remember when Elijah outran Ahab's chariot under the power of the Holy Spirit, Samson knocked down the temple with a thousand Philistines when he was a slave and he was blinded when the Spirit came on him. We know that Elizabeth, John's mother, was filled with the Holy Spirit just from being in the presence of Jesus in the womb. It says her womb leapt. And just a few verses prior, John the Baptist stood alone against the Pharisees and Sadducees that were attempting to discredit his baptism. On the day of the Holy uh, Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descended on the waiting believers and empowered them beyond their own abilities to go preach the word of God with boldness and demonstrate God's power. The fire on their heads was a symbolic sealing that they were now the temple of God. They were priests before the Lord and can now enter the Holy of Holies unrestricted and the fullness of the Holy Spirit would now make his dwelling among men. This spiritual empowerment was not just for priests and rabbis. It was for every man and woman who put their faith in Christ. John 3, 5 says, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Water baptism prepares the way of Christ into a believer's light. The Holy Spirit baptism prepares the way of the fullness of God to be released into the world through the lives of believers. Water baptism confirms our faith in Christ while the baptism of the Holy Spirit empowers us for the life and ministry that God has called us into. The same Holy Spirit baptism and power that was to release the church on Pentecost for service and empowerment, evangelism, and miracles is available today for the glory of God. I got a call about two weeks ago. Judy called me. Come down to Good Sam and, and pray. Al Luberts isn't. She didn't say how he was doing, but I know the call. I went down to the hospital, Good Sam, navigated my way through, got down to the room. And when I got there, the on-site chaplain was there um, that, you know, is the chaplain in the hospital. And I got down there and I said, okay, this is what we're going to walk into. When the on-site chaplain, it's not a good sign. We walk into the room and spent some time with Al and his daughter and, and Darlene was there. And we gathered around his bed and we prayed. And we prayed, God, do a miracle in Al's life. The best way we knew how, with whatever broken words we had, the best way we knew how to pray over Al. Today, Al is being transferred from the hospital. And now he's, I believe he's being moved back to the assisted living home with his wife so that they can 
lived together and not in a hospital room. Day by day went by. And the doctor said, well, we don't understand fully what's happening. It's just like we, you know, we're doing our tests and we're doing our things and it doesn't make sense. I don't get it. Well, I know what happened. Holy Spirit-filled believers gathered around and in faith prayed, God, have mercy. And he had mercy. And he did a miracle in Al's life. And Al, if you're listening, please answer my calls. (laughs) Holy Spirit baptism is empowerment from heaven to fulfill the Great Commission, to stand against the evil of this age, and to display the miracle-working power of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. As we begin this Advent season, let's remember that Jesus' birth was to begin an earthly ministry that will not be completed until the end of history and we enter into eternity with him. His ministry did not end at the ascension but continues in the lives of believers through the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. As long as we have breath in our lungs, we have a purpose to fulfill and a work to do and our Savior sent his Spirit to empower us to follow after him. Al still has a purpose to fulfill in his life. As long as we have breath, we have a purpose. Will you pray with me as the ushers come forward? Lord, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you, God, that you are Emmanuel. We celebrate you this month, Emmanuel, God with us. We thank you that you're near and you came and you were born as a baby. You left heaven and came to earth for us. As we celebrate you each Sunday this month and throughout the week, God, let us never take for granted the anticipation that the old saints must have. Let us carry that on in our hearts, God, because we know that you were born for us as a great miracle, God. And we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.